the niche we have is that we have the teams and the experience to know how to get it land ready within 18 to 24 months. And then it changes the whole map revision. So then if big developers that you and I would know would go in, they would now see this piece of land as developable. Are you ready to change your life? Welcome to the Multifamily Investor Ladies Podcast, sponsored by Freedom Capital Investments. Your host, Linda Brooks, is a dynamic multifamily investor syndicator with a portfolio valued at over $20 million and growing. Join her on her journey as she shows you it's never too late to get started in multifamily real estate investing. And she'll show you how to do it successfully as a passive investor. And now, here is your host, Linda Brooks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Multifamily Investor Ladies podcast. I'm Linda Brooks, your host, and I'm so glad you've tuned in today. I also want to thank and commend you for making the all-important decision to learn more about how to become an educated passive investor in the commercial real estate market. Today's episode brings a very unique investor that'll share her asset class selection and opportunities for passive investors to learn more about this particular asset class. Today, we have Tessa Kennedy, and she resides in Ham Lake, Minnesota, where she lives with her husband and four children. Today, Tessa is the founder and CEO of Tenacity Holdings, specializing in crowdfunding and targeted marketing of commercial real estate investments enabling growth and expansion of communities, improving family housing options, and rejuvenating exciting communities are the primary focus areas of her daily commitment to the success of her investment opportunities with her investment partners. Welcome, Tessa. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. It is great to have you. And can I just say, I absolutely love the name of your organization, Tenacity Holdings. Love it. Thank you. It was hard to figure out what you wanted to be as a woman-owned business. And so that just kind of resonated with me. Love it. Very appropriate. So we're going to go ahead and jump right in. And I'm going to start off with how did you get in started in commercial real estate investing? I think I have a similar path, at least to start with most people of doing a lot of research, going to a lot of meetup sessions and in different areas and trying to figure out what made the most sense. I research would make the biggest investment, what money down had to happen and just kind of all of those things. And I landed on what made the most sense for me originally was to invest in a small multifamily. So I heard heard all the stories about everything is under one roof and it's so much easier to take care of. And so I was fortunate enough to actually find my first property on Craigslist. So after networking and working with different brokers and doing everything that all the books and all the gurus tell you to do, which is obviously good information, I actually ended up finding my first property on Craigslist. And it was clearly an off market. It was just a a single person that owned it and had owned it for about 10 years. And I was lucky enough to just drive out there, meet with them. It was very casual, very handshake agreements until I was able to get the funding and close on the property. So that was exciting and a very weird way to get into, I guess, the commercial space. And because of that, I had built all these other relationships and kind of segued into where we are now. But that's where it originated from, which is kind of a weird way of Craigslist becoming the way that I started in my first month. So I own a nineplex in a small kind of resort town in Webster, Wisconsin. Okay. Is it still in your portfolio? It is still in my portfolio. It's about 90 minutes from here. It's cash flowing. It's The tenants have been wonderful. No one missed a payment during COVID. So 
there's no reason, I guess, to get rid of it right now. And I think it tugs at my heartstrings a little bit that the way that I found it, that I did it all by myself and that did that journey. And as long as it's still profitable, I don't know when I would sell that one. Nice. Which begs the question now, how did you get into land development as an asset class? That's where I think you have to figure out whatever path you're going to take, single families, self-storage, all of the different opportunities that you have, and then go and meet people that are doing those things or try to find people that are doing something that you either want to do in the future or are doing today so that you're surrounded by the people that have similar interests as you. And while I was in that journey of the nines plucks, I was trying to figure out the best financing for it. And so I attended numerous meetings trying to figure out creative ways to to offer financing to someone that just wanted out. So there was no seller carry, there was no offering. So I popped up at just as many meetups that I could still managing my nine to five job as well. Through that, I've met several different people that were huge supporters and advocates and mentors and giving me all these different ideas and solutions. And through those meetings, I met who is now our partner and started to speak more with him about what my options were with what I was currently working on. And he basically said, what is your end game? What's your goal? What do you want to accomplish with purchasing this Nineplex? And like, let's talk that through and go further into the path versus how do I just get this done and accomplished? He forced me to start to think bigger picture and what do I want for my family and what do I see for my future? And because of that, this beautiful symbiotic supportive relationship happened where now we are partners in these land development projects that we've started to work on in the last five years. So I highly would recommend anyone going to your local RIAs or any of those meetups that are local to you because you never know who you're going to meet and your trajectory of I'm going to do single family or I'm going to do small multifamily could significantly change based on who you meet and what opportunities are there. So opportunity met great relationship and great opportunity. And so now we are partnering with more people to do specifically focus on land development at this time. Got it. So tell us about your land development business model. So what we are focused on right now and together with the partnership, we have several decades of experience layered on with having done mobile homes, commercial properties, single family, everybody within the partnership has done a piece of it. So we've covered the gamut of commercial and this opportunity to work with cities and municipalities that have land that cannot be developed right now for some reason. I would say the easiest way when we were first researching this for me to understand it was in floodplain. So if some place in Texas has been regulated as a floodplain, no developers, nobody can build on that area. So it just sits there. So this isn't the land that you would see in your local city or town that says for sale by a broker or by somebody else. This is land that wouldn't have anything on it because it's literally undevelopable. So We've worked relationships that we've had with specific cities and municipalities for them to sell us that property, lease it to us is ideal. That's the majority of what we try to do is lease the land so that we can do the due diligence to make sure that we can do our part of land arbitrage or the horizontal development. So we come in once the agreement is made with the city or municipality to say, yes, this makes sense and we've done our due diligence and can do what we want to do. We come in and we take down that parcel of land that we're leased and we do all the horizontal development to get it ready for somebody to come in and develop it vertically. So we put in the electricity, the roads, the water pipes, all of those, I guess to me, like the dirty things, the things that are unseen by you and I as we're driving around. We come in and do all of that to get it what we call shovel ready for a developer to come and develop some vertical development or commercial property. 
Okay. So is it considered undevelopable? Yes, If that's a word. When you approach the city because the horizontal work has not been done yet? Is that why it's considered undevelopable? It's considered undevelopable because of however the grid or the city has labeled it. So EPA, whoever it is. So like I said, the easiest one for me to understand, we started researching it, was a floodplain. So oftentimes in Texas, for example, a property or a parcel will be, it's in a floodplain. So because of that, nobody's going to insure it. There's no way to develop on it because the chances of it if, of it flooding if, if there was a torrential downpour are higher than others. So the city can't do anything with it. They can't sell it to a townhouse community. They can't sell it to anybody until we do our part. But nobody wants to or knows really about this kind of investing, if you will. So our investment partners would invest in us to do this piece of it only unless we partner with the developer. So oftentimes when people talk about real estate investing, land development is talked about somewhat in terms of like, I'm going to go build houses or I'm going to go build an apartment complex. But this is literally just getting the land ready. And what the niche we have is that we have the teams and the experience to know how to get it land ready within 18 to 24 months. And then it changes the whole map revision. So then if big developers that you and I would know, Lennar, whomever, would go in they would now see this piece of land as developable, whereas 18 months earlier, it wouldn't be on the map of something that they could buy. So we literally changed the map and the topography for the developers to be able to come in and and purchase the land from us. Before then, they wouldn't even know about this land because they can't do the work on it until we do our part. Got it. So by you saying topography, that makes sense. Yeah. Because I'm thinking if it's in a, for example, Mm -hmm. um, in a flood zone, whether... I buy it, you buy it, and we do work to it unless we change the topography. It's still going to have the issue with being insurable. But once you change the topography, I'm assuming you literally may change the level of the property so that it does become insurable. And now it's a piece of land that's able to be developed on. Let's just say there is many, many black dirt bundles that come into all of our projects. I think that's the majority when I look at the spreadsheets of cost black dirt to come in and try to get the land and the topography, you know, more correctly positioned is definitely a lot of the time is spent. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. Very interesting. So if you develop this plot of land, do you sell it all once it's in a developable state or how do you parcel the land and decide how much you're going to sell or do you just sell the whole plot of land? That's a good question. And I would say it's project by project, but what we have found is interesting is Even if we, what we call the horizontal development to the entire piece of land, there's still about 50 to 60% that can't be developed into building vertically. It just, for whatever reason, for zoning, for different reasons, there's about 50% of the land. So if we take down 100 acres, let's just say 50% of that can't be developed into commercial real estate. And so we were left with this chunk of 50% of, you know, undeveloped land. So we can't sell that to anybody, you know, so we started to brainstorm and figure out, is there anything we can do with that land? Because it's just, it's painful to have your investment 50% sit. And one of our partners actually is an avid off-road park enthusiast. And he said, let's try to go down that path and see if we can turn that this unusable land into off-road parks. And so we were successful so far with one. And so we sold the other piece of it. And it, honestly, it comes down to who comes in with what offer and what makes sense. So we've sold it to one developer at times and we sold it to multiple developers depending on what they wanted and what they submitted to us. So we're not picky, 
other than we want to make sure that it fits what we've talked to with the city, as we've talked to with the municipality, we want to make sure that it's cohesive with that. So most of it is going to be commercial. It's going to be restaurants. It's going to be apartment complexes. It's going to be townhouses. It's going to be some way, shape or form. And the majority of it is sold to one developer, but we're not picky as long as it coincides with what the city or municipality is looking to do with the land. So that side of it would be sold to a developer. And sometimes we stay in for that as well, depending on the relationship we have with the person that's purchasing it, or we sell it outright. And then that other side, now we've been able to develop into an off-road park and make passive income quickly, because once that's launched, then we have daily drivers and daily people coming in and enjoying the the off-road park. So that was a foray that is new to us. And we have one that's open in Texas right now that we have many people coming and enjoying right now. But so it's nice to supplement the 18 to 24 month investment with passive income much quicker from the off-road part that we're starting to look at doing with the unusable land that we're developing. Very, very creative. One question that comes to mind is how do the developers feel about having an off-road park next to a plot of land that they're planning to develop vertically? and its potential impact on the value of the properties that they will put on the land that's next to now an off-road park? Yeah, it's a good question. And so far, the research that we've done is showing that there is no conflict because of the span of the, the land. So if you think like, I live on one acre, we're purchasing at least 100 acres or 1,000 acres. So the amount that we sell to a developer is a way enough where, yes, you're probably going to hear it. It would be like if you lived by a train station necessarily. It's not like it's right in your backyard. So there's enough space right now that we've had research sessions with developers and, and looked at the topography of like how far away is it going to be. And the one that we have opened in Texas right now, they there is no vertical development having been started yet. But that person's well aware because they've been to the Jeep park. They've had no issue yet. So I think we're doing a good job of doing the due diligence to make sure that there's enough separation where it shouldn't hurt home values. And is it disclosed to the developers before they sell or acquire yes. the land? Okay. Yes. And it's only going to happen if it makes sense, right? So not every land project that we take down, we're doing that. We've just been, it's now we know that it's an opportunity for the land that it makes sense on, that there's enough land separation that it makes sense. So for our investors and current and future, we have both long and short-term cash flow opportunities for them. Understood. So how does this asset class and particularly your business model work from a passive investor perspective? How does it work for your investors? So that's the only way right now that we're taking investors in. So we don't do any acquisition. We're only vertically integrated. So anybody that invests with us is strictly you're investing either. What's nice with Tenacity is, as you mentioned in our intro, is we're crowdfunded approved. So that means there's lower threshold and you don't necessarily need to be an accredited investor. So you can come in that way or you can come in as an accredited investor into the fund. But once your money is in, we just put it to work. So you put your money passively with us and you get updates from us as things go on. So as the off-road park launched, we gave our investors updates on the progress of that. As we take down different projects, you get investment information. So you passively invest either through the crowdfunding portal or through the accredited investor portal. And within 18 to 24 months, you should see your investment back based on once the land development has started. So if if you invested August 1st and we closed on a property, September 1st would be the day and you should start to see your initial investment back in 18 to 24 months. And then once we sell, split would be divided from the GPs and LPs in the relationship. So 
what's nice about it is once you understand the business model, it's literally you send us your money, we give you updates and you get passive income within 18 to 24 months back to your pocket. Now, when you say passive income within 18 to 24 months, are they receiving quarterly distributions during that 18 to 24 months until the corpus is returned at the end of the period? Or there are no distributions during that period and they get their initial corpus back and then the proceeds from the sale? Great question. The second one. So the type of passive investor we would need is someone that does not need access to their investment within that 18 to 24 months. So 18 to 24 months, you get your initial, you put in 500K, you get that 500K back after that 18 to 24 months. After we've done all of the due diligence, after we've done all the horizontal land development, you get your initial investment back. Once it closes to a developer, that's when the dividend, the split of the GPs and the LPs, that's when the investor then would get their piece of the profit. Okay. Understood. Okay. And then what's the minimum amount to invest in the crowdfunding platform? I think the lowest that we've taken thus far is 15000 through the crowdfunding platform. And the for the accredited, it would be 100000 is the lowest we've taken. So if people listening want to discuss with us what their options are from a crowdfunding perspective, we're open to it. But the lowest that we've taken so far is 15000 Got it. Okay. Very interesting. This is very interesting and very creative. Congratulations to you. Do you have any projects underway right now? We have a project that I want to say we're probably 30 days out from closing. So a land project that we're 30 days out from closing. So we launched the off-road park in Texas in mid-March. We had a soft opening and haven't really had that formal kickoff excitement like grand opening. And we're still seeing a lot of people coming. And so I would say we're about 30 days out from closing on our next project, which is just going to be the horizontal development. And obviously, as we get into the due diligence, we'll see if it makes sense at the off-road park as well. So I think we're about 30 days out from that land development project. And we also have a lot of opportunity coming in in the workforce housing. So there's the land development where we just do the horizontal development. And then we also do some workforce housing development as well. So finding land and different projects for that. And we are about 60 days to 90 days out from closing on some land to do some workforce housing as well. Okay. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So this is, as I mentioned, very unique, very creative. Congratulations and commend you and your team for being creative and unique in this real estate space. How can our listeners get in touch with you if they were interested in more information on this unique asset class? Yes. As we've talked about, so tenacityholdings.org is our website. And I will add Lone Star, L-O-N-E-S-T-A-R, offroadpark.com to see the off-road park in action. So there's a lot of pictures and images of what that looks like and how we developed that land. And that's an ever-growing journey for us as well to add fencing and more things like that. So Lone Star Off-Road Park, nastyholdings.org would give you more information about either side. will give you more information kind of about what we're doing right now. Excellent. Thank you, Tessa, very much for sharing this unique investment option with us today and for our listeners. And thank you all for joining. Tessa's information is available on the site. Be the first person to contact me at our website at multifamilyinvestorladies.com and make mention that you tuned in to the episode with Tessa and her land development asset class, and I will send you a free gift to take your real estate investing to the next level. Thanks so much for listening. For more information about today's episode, learn more about passive multifamily real estate investing, or to reach Linda directly, 
visit us on the web at multifamilyinvestorladies.com. Thanks a mill for joining the Multifamily Investor Ladies podcast, sponsored by Freedom Capital Investments. Your host, Linda Brooks, reminds you it's never too late to get started on your multifamily real estate investment journey, and she'll show you how to do it successfully as a passive investor. We'll see you next time.